I don't even think we need a formal like welcome to the podcast. So <laughs> we've already started recording, Brie, because you demanded I press start and it started. I know. I'm like, <laughs> press the button, press start. Yes, let's go. Let's just let's just go. So Len and I were uh we were just talking about what we were gonna talk about. I'm like, let's just press record. Just press record. <laughs> and that's because we were having the most amazing conversations about such different things. And there were open websites and there were sharing artists. And right. we were like, just right in this really exciting conversation. <laughs> and uh, stopping to choose a topic was uh, broke the flow, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What we were talking about, oh, we, we talked about some interesting things. Like you asked me, actually, did I... Did I answer that well? You said, um, because you mentioned this Huberman podcast. Okay, so here's how it went. And just stay with me on this train of thought. I said, we could talk about journaling because it's been a, a, about a year and a half since we talked about journaling. And then you said, oh, this, so this is how our conversations go. And then Len, you said, oh, have you heard that podcast episode from Huberman about the journaling, like for like mental health. And I was like, oh yeah, I was listening while I did made this photo and I showed you. And then you said, oh, do you listen to podcasts while you create? <laughs> so like, you, like, did we even answer any of those questions? <laughs> so, so I guess the answer is, yeah, sometimes I want it to be silent. Like I want to have, hmm, I want to be in my own head. You know, actually I study music and I was, I've been wondering about this lately. I studied music in university and I never listen to music when I'm photographing. I think that, I find that fascinating. I know a lot of people do, uh, or a lot of people listen to music while, while they edit or, you know, while, like while they're creating in different ways. And I just don't, I like need some talking or something to chatter in the background. And yes, by the way, I will go back and re-listen to parts because I will miss them. Like I'll be mm. so involved in what I'm doing that I'll take a little, I actually have multiples on my phone right now. I have screenshot. I'll take a screenshot of where I'm at in the podcast episode because I want to go back and like make some notes. So well, that's a really good strategy. I like that as a strategy. <laughs> I am. Um, I love listening to audio books. Um, and I listened to one on the train to Adelaide, which is two days on the train, by the way, uh, a train oh to gosh. Melbourne for one day and then sleep overnight in a hotel and another train to Adelaide the next day. So I, I managed four books. Like I did Big Magic. I did uh, oh, I did quite a few creativity books, um, one about sexuality and one about Indigenous history in Australia. So they were really mind-blowing books and I couldn't keep doing creativity because my mind needed to catch up on the ones I had just listened to, but they had these moments where I'm looking out the window and I lost listening and the world just disappeared and I was enjoying the the trees and the plains and the things that I was seeing flow past out the window and I lost the podcast or I lost the actual audio book, which is one of the reasons why I don't like listening to podcasts when I'm trying to make art because I lose listening to the podcast and the whole thing turns into the blur when I'm um, actually working on the art. So instead I try to get to that mental state without having that distraction. Mm. But I, I, the, the strategy is really clear, isn't it? That um, by engaging a part of your brain into doing something, you pay less attention and give less focus to that worry about making art and that intellectual side of making art that allows you to tune into your intuitive self so much stronger. It's the same as walking and talking. While you're walking, people talk more honestly and um, openly because their brain is engaged in the walking part, um, just a tiny part of it. And that's almost the opposite, isn't it? A part of our brain's engaged in the listening part and it allows our intuitive part to create art more intuitively because it doesn't have the, that bit that's questioning, saying yes, no, maybe uh, over the top of it <laughs> and drowning out the actual doing. Or like, hey, you got to take out the trash later. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. And maybe that's why I do it is 
is so that it's just kind of something a little different to focus on. Although I have to be careful about what it is that I listen to. Oh, why? Yeah, because I'll internalize things. Like I have, uh, I listened to the Hunger Games on audiobook while I painted in my, this is in my last house. So it was probably, I don't know, like 12 years ago or whatever. I don't know. But um, I remember listening to the Hunger Games while I was painting this office and like redoing it and pulling out like a built-in desk and da, da, da. But I have very visual memories of painting it and feeling horrified (laughs) what was happening in the Hunger Games. And so, so I would like associate the painting or the project with this book. And I don't know that that's a smart idea when I'm trying to enjoy, you know, photography. So if it's, if it's something that I'm like finding a little slightly disturbing or uh, like some other emotions are coming up, I will switch it to something else or completely turn it off. Like, Ooh, I think I need some quiet for right now. I can't, I can't um, focus on that. But ultimately, I I really love listening to podcasts because it really does give my brain a little something to tickle it so that some other things don't come up. That doesn't mean I can't create in the quiet. I don't mind that either. Sometimes, you know, I should pay attention to how often I do that. This really, this raises a question and it's the question that stopped me doing it is how much the um, music, because I used to listen to music a lot while I was making art. Uh, how much the music interfered and and changed my mood. And it was in the dark room where I started noticing that the type of music that I played changed my mood and the artwork followed the mood that was being created. So I, I was going to ask as you were talking there how much of the painting reflected the mood of the Hunger Games in the painting and um, uh, that's probably part of why the, the two are anchored together is that there's part of that emotion goes into the painting at the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. The Huberman podcast that you talked about with journaling, like I remember standing, so my friend lives in New Mexico and she kind of overlooks this like, there's all these little like creek areas that have cottonwoods and such. And two of the mornings that I was there, one of the mornings was really foggy. Well, they were both foggy. So it was like, there was some fog and it was so gorgeous. And, um, and that's how kind of I was introduced to her area was the fog kind of lifted a little by little, like revealing parts of the landscape. It was really a cool experience because she lives up on a mesa. So she's kind of high. And the second time it happened, they got a dusting, a very, very slight dusting of snow overnight. And so then it was foggy, but different. So I, I was like, I'm going to go outside and photograph the same things again and see what I see. And because I had already been there, I think, I, I don't remember, I don't think I did this the first time, but I, I was listening to this one about journaling, I remember And because I had already been there, it was familiar. I could like relax my brain. And I also thought about, well, hang on, let me finish my initial thing I was saying. And it's interesting because I remember now, like I I showed you this picture of this like phone snap of, you know, these trees and such. And I like remember the journaling and it's the journaling actually, we'll link to it in in the episode description, but it's about journaling four different times about something that was maybe like a terrible experience and how it helps heal you. And I think that's a really, I was like super interested. I was like, wow, as a coach, I'm like, wow, I know journaling is powerful. I know that writing is powerful and being able to see your thoughts, but how the progression of these four different times is very interesting. So we'll link it for y'all to check out. Also, I was thinking about something that you mentioned in a previous episode, which is, and I don't know who uh, your mentor, someone said, stand here and in one hour, you can't, you can move up and down or you can do 360, but you have to, you photograph as much as you can in an hour and you can't move. Who was that? That, That's a Freeman Patterson exercise. Well, he gave it to me. Right. I don't know where he got it from. I don't know either. Yeah. So anyway, that's what the, the progression for me. Right. And I remember standing there going, 
you know, I have limited space. I'm not standing in one space, but I remember standing there thinking, this is so interesting. I photographed this and this and this, and there's still fog. So I kind of want to stay, like I just felt the draw to stay out there longer. And I, I, I didn't necessarily want to stand there being inter- like without using my camera. Oh, there's Momo. Hi, Momo. Uh, and because sometimes I want to just enjoy the landscape without the camera. Like you just want to be in the moment. And I was like, I want to be in the moment and I want to photograph. So what more is there? How can I see deeper? And so then it became like a little bit more of a challenge, which was actually really fun because I had, uh, because I was felt like I was putting that, that exercise into practice. See, there you go. I'm putting our podcast into practice on my own. Hope y'all are too. <laughs> you can do two little extensions to that. And uh, for the listeners that don't know that exercise, we'll just go through it again, is that you're randomly choosing a spot to photograph from and then forcing yourself to stay there. So one way to do that would be to predetermine how many steps you're going to take from the car to choose your spot. So you might say, I'm going to do 150 steps park the car and then walk into the bush and wherever you end up is where you you do that. If you've got a buddy, a photo friend, get them to choose your spot and you choose their spot for them and uh, you could be as creative or as nasty as you would like to, in doing that. And the, the first time Freeman did this to me, um, I rolled around on the ground under a tree because he put me under a tree and I had so much fun for that first hour or so doing that and the photos were quite beautiful because I came obsessed with photographing the depth of um, the different leaves in in the bush. So I'd photograph on one in front of the, quite in front of me and then one at the back and leave the others all blurry and I'd move them along and I actually made a video of it, which was fun. And then a few days later, he gives it to us again and he changed the the rules the second time. And the second time is we had to sit there for an hour and journal or sit. So you, either you journal or you sit, but you're not allowed to make art for the first hour and then you start making art. And that was also really, really exciting and interesting because I journaled about things that I was seeing, like, oh, the colour of the water and the people over there and the sound of the birds and the smell. And yet an hour later when I picked up the camera, I didn't photograph any of those things. I photographed other things and made art Um inspired by other things that I was um, seeing at the time. It was like I'd processed some of the beginning photos that I might have taken when I first started. Um, And then to make it um, very hard, you put your camera on a tripod and you don't move the tripod height-wise or anything and you shoot specifically off the tripod for an hour. And uh, if we go back to pre-digital, you'd say shoot a roll of film on the tripod and don't move the tripod, but you can pan, tilt and swing around. And um, uh, if you're lucky enough to put yourself on a zoom lens, work with that. But even working with a prime lens would help restrict you even more. And of course, uh, the goal is to realise that there's photos everywhere, that everywhere you could possibly be, there are photos to be made if you choose to find them and look for them and try to create them. They're there. They're right where we're sitting or you're, you're standing right now as you're or sitting or lying down as you're listening to this podcast. There's artwork to be made right now if you chose to engage with it. And that's such a powerful concept. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. And I don't, I mean, obviously this concept is not limited to just being a photographer. You know, this is about... Uh, you know, this is about restricting and limiting yourself to bring out your creativity. And I don't think in this, these exercises that we're expecting ourselves to make like portfolio worthy art, you know, this is, this is a practice to help us see deeper. And, um, I was even talking with my son about this. Like I find myself doing, if I stay in one place long enough, I'm doing, or like have this, a restriction, whatever the restriction is. I, I kind of go on three different levels. One is all the initial obvious stuff or like what I think is obvious, right? Because what other people think is obvious is, you know, <laughs> different. And then there's another, like, a, then I stay on there and then there is, I don't have to work as hard, but there's some, there's more, there's more there 
that, uh, that I have to dig a little deeper for, but it's not hard. It's kind of just barely under the surface. And then once I feel, then there's going to come a point where I feel totally tapped out. Like, And I did this while I was back in my friend's yard. I'm like, I don't think I literally almost said, I, I don't even, maybe I did say this out loud. I don't think there's anything left here. And I was like, or is there? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, and because I remembered this exercise and I'm like, maybe there is, and maybe because the conditions are so interesting or, you know, and I have the time, like I literally did have the time. No, you know, wasn't hungry. I didn't need anything. I was warm enough. It was cold because, you know, it just had snow overnight, but I was warm enough, just fine. Well, not warm, but anyway, I wasn't freezing. And I could spend the time to say, what else is there here? Maybe this is the challenge that maybe this is a challenge I could take on to find something that's a little deeper, something that's maybe a little bit more unexpected. And I need to go uh, like import all my work, but I think that's where the interesting work is done when I'm then on that third deeper level going, what else? What more after I've done all of this? And and it's fun because it's a challenge. It feels like work for sure. I don't think it necessarily feels super comfortable because it is work. Like I'm working hard to say what, you know, to to um, really exercise my brain. And I, I think it's so, I think it's so fun. I love the ch- that kind of having that kind of a challenge in my work. I've just uh, put this on into the Artists Club as one of our fortnightly photographic challenges that I throw out. And it's not a challenge, it's actually a, an exercise, a, a learning exercise. And that was one learning exercise. And it's important to push yourself like for a, a period of time, like maybe an hour or two hours doing it and set a stopwatch or, you know, set a, a count. I'd have to take at least 200 photos or a full roll of film, like that's about pushing past that very spot. But the exercise I, I put out only yesterday when I uh, was writing this week, um, this fortnight's learning exercise is to revisit the same spot to make art in. So if you're a poet, go and, and you, you like writing in a coffee shop, go to the coffee shop, you know, five days in a row and keep making art in the same spot or uh, as a painter, you know, keep going back to the same spot, that favourite seat and keep painting from that seat, maybe in plein air or maybe it's a coffee shop. I love drawing in coffee shops or as a, you know, as a photographer, artist who uses a camera, uh, going back to the same spot and revisiting it. And I have a project, I have many, many projects based around places and uh, I've got one spot that I've been visiting over and over for the last eight, nine years I've been visiting it. And every time I go to the area, it goes onto my list to be there and I try to make it the, I check the weather each day. <laughs> and if it's a, the the most optimal day with mist and rain, I go to that spot and I keep working on it. And I, I really honestly believe I've got a book in this spot. And uh, that's the Fuba Steps in uh, Katoomba in the Blue Mountains, by the way. One of the reasons that this challenges me is when I was younger, and I mean in 1999 when I was making art for my first art gallery in the Blue Mountains, I went down there with the mindset I'm going to photograph Katoomba Falls and I walked down this beautiful um, walk into the waterfalls, took one photo and then walked out and left and I'd done it. Like I had it ticked off in my mind. Like I've done Katoomba Falls. That's so anti-Len right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is how I got to here today right. is by having all these learning experiences and becoming a bit wiser about how to make art. And um, hopefully I'm sharing that wisdom with you. But, you know, coming back so many years later, 15 years later and going, oh my God, I walked past the most beautiful places and why wasn't I photographing or exploring the rest of it? So that book will have the first photo in it. 
And then uh, I'm working on this project and I keep going back and I keep photographing it and I keep working on it and uh, I keep finding new art and I'm trying to get past that point of thinking like I made the mistake before is I've been there and done it and I've got the artwork uh, because there's more to be found there. Um, There's more work to come out of it. So revisiting is another way of extending um, and pushing past this, uh, as you said, it's a feeling that you get like, oh, there's nothing else here and uh, I'm going to move on. Uh, for you, Bree, you said that's when the, the good art comes. And I think that's a really important realisation because that means that you have to keep going past that feeling all the time and uh, learning how to step through it and knowing when it's coming and finding methods to do it. One of mine favourite is to sit down and have a cup of tea. Of course it is. I have my thermos, I pull it out of my pack, I make a nice little spot, I sit there and listen to the birds and I sip away and have a cup of tea and a snack and let half an hour pass by and then I get up and start again. And that's when the good art comes. I love it. I think focusing on one subject, and I think that's this is kind of universal, but really playing with all different facets of one subject, you know, whether you're a writer or, you know, you are a photographer or a painter or whatever, you know, how can you sit, sit with one subject? And I think most people would think, oh, that's boring, but what a great, great exercise to be able to do. Or like if you're a musician and you have a scale, how, what can you do with that? You know, <laughs> so because that is how creativity blossoms and and how we get better as like as artists. I think of like my creek around the corner. I haven't been there in quite a while. I should probably go visit it and see what's going on there. Cause I, I know there's like, this is so anti what I was saying. Cause for a while I was going there and going, Ooh, what more is there? And at, at this point I'm like, uh, maybe there's not much more, but maybe there is. And I just haven't gone back to explore it a little bit more. So, all right. You will know when you have to go back. And and you might go back and nothing more might come or um, something new and amazing might come or a further extension of the work that you've done there might come. We we don't know until you go and have a try. Right. Well, because sometimes it has water and sometimes it doesn't. You know, one time I went when I had zero water, but the way the water had evaporated with all of this, like, I don't know what it's called. It, it made this mud, these interesting mud cracks, but over the top of the mud was like probably this slime that had dried or something, but it was pink. It looked like pink frosting over everything. <laughs> it was amazing. And I would never have you know, you just go there to photograph the creek. (laughs) It's not really, it's not really like an icon to photograph, but you know, if I hadn't have gone just every once in a while to check it out, then I wouldn't have seen that. It's kind of amazing. I didn't know that that happened, you know, by the way, what does your shirt say? It says, uh, my sister gave me this. It says, trust me, I'm a photographer. (laughs) I struggle to wear it actually. (laughs) <laughs> I've never seen you. So by the way, Len, Len, Len's always wearing some like floral shirt or something. And this is like, I think the first time I've seen you with something that has like words on it. So I was like, what is he wearing? <laughs> <laughs> it was my birthday present from earlier this year from my sister. Trust, uh, trust you, you're a photographer. That's so great. That's yeah, awesome. I, I feel like scribbling it out and saying, no, I'm an artist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lens-based artist, but you're just any, you know. I love that term. I love that, a lens-based artist. Oh. Well, that's because Len is in it. <laughs> oh, I hadn't even noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, this is how this is how genius we are <laughs> over here. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's because it has the word Len in it, lens. Yeah, well, I was Leonard until I decided that my business was called Lens School. And then I, um, I, I took the popular opinion of everyone else around me to call me Len because everyone calls me Len. And, uh, I started using it myself and telling people that my name was Len, but everyone calls me Len. 
that I used to run around as a young man going, no, my name is Leonard. And I'd, you know, bang the, bang the bench with my, my fists going, my name is Leonard. But, um, you know, family and lovers call me Lenny and I love that too. So anyway, I eventually got over myself and embraced Len. I think it was also a reverse aging process where now that I'm older, I don't mind having a, like Len feels like a younger person's name. So um, I don't mind now. (laughs) Makes me feel young. I got, I was so teased and I remember in like third grade when kids found out that Brie was a kind of cheese. (laughs) It was... (laughs) merciless. <laughs> I think that's how I learned how to like, not that I didn't care what other people thought, but like I grew a little bit of a thicker skin, you know, like, like it's like the sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me or whatever. I mean, cause I remember being super upset by it. And then I was like, whatever, if this is what they're talking about. I don't know. Seems kind of dumb. So anyway, I was like, yeah, Call me cheese. I just kind of embraced it. I was like, yeah, call me cheese. It's fine. And now look, my Instagram account is like a slice of brie. I really want to be slice of brie, but it's a slice of brie 2020 because somebody else has a slice of brie. So if you know Uh, that person, tell them to release it to me. (laughs) You actually make a wedge of brie, don't you, when you put it on your cheese? Yeah, but you biscuit. I don't know. I like a slice. It's a a wedge of brie. Yeah, but that doesn't (laughs) roll off the tongue so well. Oh, okay. I was just spring. thinking of the pun with the uh, uh, the sharper end, end of the wedge or whatever mm. it's called. I kind of like a slice. I don't mm. know. Anyway, well, this weekend, so I booked I booked an overnight backpack at a local park. It's about two and a half hours away. It's called Lost Maples. So hopefully there'll be some beautiful trees still. So you're going on an overnight walk? Uh, yeah. W- uh, yes. That's what you call it, like a walkabout. Uh, we call them bushwalking. Yeah. So we would go, I'm going on an overnight bushwalk or That's people right. call it hiking, I think. Yeah. Mine is a hike. So I'm going on an overnight bushwalk. <laughs> That's a very Australianism, I think, bushwalk. Because we call them the, the wilderness, the bush, the Australian bush. Well, this isn't <laughs> necessarily wilderness, but it's, it's, it's wilderness enough for Texas. So oh, I, booked a, I booked a Thursday night. Today is Tuesday. And uh, because this is a popular park, there was nothing available for Friday and one came available the other day. So I grabbed it. So I actually have two nights now and I'm really excited because I'm working finally on my little ebook that I said I was going to make eons ago. And I think I'm just going to, yeah, I know. Uh, I'm going to take a journal and just write out all the things I want to say for it so I can come back and put it all together. So I'm kind of excited about that. Don't you find that sometimes if you're creating or like you're deep into creating something, you want to be, uh, make like kind of a sacred space around it to do it. I love doing that. And, uh, like I have my little, little ceremonies with the trees or when the wind blows past and I'm thinking of something, I say thank you to Gaia and, uh, uh, I've often, I was telling someone only the other night how much I think that the weather seems to look after me when I'm out photographing. That seems to be on my side. Now, obviously that's my own beliefs there, but, um, and my own imagination coming into play, but it feels like it's supporting me. Like, oh, thank you. I really love that the rain's coming and that the, the light's going to be very, very beautiful. So, um, yes, ceremonies are really beautiful creating a sacred space. Right. I think so often when we're really wanting to put in the time and effort uh, uh, continuously, like for hours and just solely focus on something, I think it's great to move either. You can be in your home, but maybe you create like clear your calendar or like, how can you be in your home and, you know, set aside just very specific time, like a couple of days, um, to do this, or you can change your surroundings, which is like, you know, just go somewhere. Some people, I know some people create by just completely leaving, you know, and going somewhere else at, you know, like at a Mm. retreat or whatever, but I like, and that's fine. I think, but I think you can create your own. I think you can, even if it's 
even if I just 30 minutes down the road went camping overnight, which mine's two and a half hours. But And this wasn't my plan when I booked it, by the way. This is just naturally coming and I'm like, this is what I want to be doing. And for some uh-huh. reason, I just felt like I needed the overnight. And now I know why it's because I, I'm working on this thing. It's interesting. It's fascinating. The coincidence I'm... Um I walk out on Tuesday morning with my son. We're doing a 120-kilometre walk, and which is um, 70 miles um, for uh, those Thank of you, you for in Imperial that. over there. And uh, we're carrying our food and everything for uh, eight days wandering Wait, along. Wait, when are the, you leaving? On Monday. Awesome. Monday. Well, um, yeah, this Monday with my son. So he's um, 17, just going on 18. He's just finished school and he's my walking buddy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, we're doing a, a walk on the main range um, in the Snowy Mountains and it's called Kyandra to Kosciuszko. It's a bit of a famous crossing. It can also be done in the snow season and we, it's often skied as well. I'm so excited. <laughs> now he graduated, right? He's finished school, yes. How many more walks do you think you'll do with him? I hope lots. Um, I... He's been spent. I haven't really seen him much since since he finished school because he lives with his mother in another town, and uh, I usually see him every second weekend and for school holidays. And uh, since finishing school, he hasn't had time to come and see me because he studied so hard. He didn't socialize, so he's been socializing madly um, since then, and hasn't really made time to visit. But when I said to him, "Let's," would you like to go for a walk? Um, he said immediately, yes, I would absolutely love to. So I suspect that that might be our way of connecting as we age is to go and do lovely long walks together because um, ones of this size, this, this is our fifth really big walk. We we try to do one once a year. So I hope, I've got my fingers crossed, <laughs> it becomes, it continues being a special um, tradition between father and son beautiful place to do it. And of course, I'm, I'll be carrying my camera and uh, taking photographs uh, along the way, making art. How heavy is your pack? I haven't weighed it yet. I think I'm going to have uh, seven kilos in just food, which is, uh, what's that, 18 pounds or something just in food or something. Like, is it 2.2 wow. pounds to a kilo? So somewhere in there, so double it and a bit more, so 16 pounds just in food. Um, so, yeah, we start the walk with a very heavy pack and by the end we'll finish light. But we'll be walking in alpine areas, so we have to carry mm-hmm. um, a snow tent. Um, we also have to carry a, a minus um, sleeping bags and rain and uh, to be able to survive fully in the snow because it snows there at any time of the year. Um, but we need to be prepared for the worst possible weather that can be thrown at us. In fact, it's actually forecast to snow while we're on it, which is exciting. I'll have the camera out that day. (laughs) Yeah, you will. (laughs) I think the key is if you can carry it and you're just staying dry, right? Yeah, or wearing clothing that can dry. Right. Um, That's how I survive as a skier is also having a full, having nothing that um, doesn't, can't dry on you. And keep you warm at the same time. So you're basically living in either wool or nylons or silk or um, polypropylenes or, yeah, artificial um, insulators. This is interesting because I've, if I, you know, I talked earlier about being in my friend's backyard and there was a dusting of snow and da da da. If I had been out there without gloves on or, you know, I put my like, I put a merino wool layer under my pants just so that I wasn't, you know, super cold. I had an appropriate jacket. I think, especially for outdoor photographers, you know, if you're going to do something, then you want the equipment, you want the tools so that you're comfortable and you can do what you need to do. And I think this is important because I've noticed, you know, as a flute player, um, as, uh, well, I, I don't really know that much about other art. I've dabbled in watercolor, of watercolor painting. Um, but I think it is really important to have tools that work and to help put us in a physical space where we're ready to, and able to create. And, 
Um, I know, I remember having, when I first started flute, I remember having a really crappy flute because we didn't have a lot of money. So we rented at this, you know, kind of a junky flute. And I remember getting a really, a much better instrument and how much better I sounded. All of a sudden I improved very quickly <laughs> because, because the tool, it was the, you know, partly the tool that, that helped me. And so I think there's one side where we're, where we we can be creative and and we can you know work to improve, but then there's the other side, which is what what's the bare minimum that we really need to um, do what what we create what we want. Mm. And clothing, being comfortable in your environment is very very important. That's where I'm lucky that I I grew up outdoors and uh, teaching bushwalking and skiing and climbing and those sort of things that people sort of go, oh my god, you're doing this huge walk you know, can you be safe and all those sort of things. It's like, yeah, this is, this isn't even pushing my comfort zone. Um, this is a very, uh, for me, um, quite a comfortable walk. And I'm very, very comfortable in that environment with having and knowing what is the right thing to wear, what food to take, how much gas to take. Even like I own six or eight tents and I know which one I need to take instantly because of the conditions that I'm I'm going to take and which clothes I need to take. I don't have to really spend a lot of time debating all those things. It's because mm. I'm so used to being comfortable in that environment. And it is important to um, spend that time. I love photographing in the rain, for example, and everyone says, oh, my God, how do you do that? And, well, the answer is you have the right gear. You know, you you dress appropriately. You still stay warm. You keep the rain out and if it gets in, you wear clothes that don't get cold and you can keep going. And you also need a camera that you can use in the rain. Like that's, I have a camera that I, I can just stand in the rain and let it get soaking wet and I don't have to worry about it. And that's a really important thing. And I had another camera, a very, very expensive camera, and I did that for five minutes earlier this year and I blew it up. Uh, I um, turned it on and uh, when it was shorting and it blew up the main board, uh, that was a $5,000 camera, thank you, out the window. And it wasn't, I assumed that it had similar weather sealing to the ones that I have been using. Mm. And of course, weather sealing is not the same on all different cameras. So I use a different lens in the rain specifically because I can use it in the rain. Yeah, it's a, it's a big thing, isn't it? And even... You know, when we choose a lens, we're choosing a look that goes with the lens and uh, that's part of our choice as an artist as well or the paper that we paint on or the, the, the type of paints that we use. They're all choices that make up um, that visual look that we love personally, our signature. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And there are so many, there's like infinite combinations of things depending on, you know, what we're creating. I'm reading a book, well, listening to a book called Awe, A-W-E, The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's ah. really. <laughs> when That's I was good. a young man, we'd, we'd, we'd go up to somewhere beautiful and the boss would say, everyone go, ooh. Uh, and the whole, all of the whole of us, all the staff, and there was about 10 of us, we all had to do it in unison <laughs> and go, ooh, ah. ah, together at this beautiful view, you know, expressing our awesomeness of something. <laughs> he called it something, these are like, um, these are like nonverbal, you know, not words, but sounds, and they're pretty universal, you know, and... Uh, I I did bookmark. I took some screenshots of where I <laughs> where I want to go backwards because I, he talked about he talks about why we want more awe, like what it does for us and how we can find more. Like I shared a post on my coaching account that was just some people going into a donut shop, buying out all of the donuts for the day to help this uh, shop owner because his wife was ill. And I'm like, that is awe inspiring, right? Mm. So 
or, you know, being out in the landscape or, you know, there's so many different ways we can experience awe. And it actually, what he says, if I can remember right, it, it is, it really contributes to your overall like happiness and like a long-term happiness. And not a lot of people have studied this. That's why this is so interesting because he's, he actually has studied emotions and, you know, what they do for you. And he's like, I want to study this one. And so it's just this book about awe. Dacker Keltner. It's pretty good. A friend recommended it. My friend Colette from one of the, from the creating creativity on demand that I talked about. She's like, Bray, you would love this. I love getting those recommendations. If you have any recommendations for us, like that you, um, any books or podcasts that you think might be interested, interesting to us, please send those along. Like, come on. I am always open to new things because I want to learn a lot. So I'm looking for my next one to listen to. I'm a, I've become a fan of listening to books now and, uh, I'm looking for my next one to listen to. So if you have any suggestions, throw them to me. Maybe you want this one. Mm. Ah. <laughs> Do, what, what book are you taking on your, on your bushwalk with your son? Uh, I, I've got, Two printed books. One is on um, uh, bivvies, um, living without a tent. <laughs> That's the book you're going to take? <laughs> That's one of them. It's just a tiny little book and it's got stories in it. I thought, and it's written from an English perspective and it's got all these great walks to do in England. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I could, I could do that. that or in the UK, not in England. Uh, the other one is one on uh, creativity and it's also a very, very short read and I've been saving it because of its weight specifically to take on a bushwalk. Um, my son will take three novels <laughs> and I just don't believe how he fits them in, but he will read two very, very comfortably because every time I take the camera off, he opens his book and sits under a tree and he reads and he reads incess- incessantly, um, which is why he's, uh, you know, going to go and do law and, um, at university because he, he loves to read, which is an interesting story. And I'm, I'm just going to diverge onto that, Bree. But um, when he was a, a young kid, he went to a Montessori school and uh, we had to move him from there into a public school through other unforeseen circumstances. And uh, he was behind in his reading because the Montessori hadn't got to that um, and he wasn't at the right development ready for it. So he finds himself in a public school and uh, a government school and uh, his reading's behind. His mathematics is good and his uh, everything else is really good. And he, he gets elected for a reading recovery program and he gets a teacher, a reading teacher for half an hour a day for six months to work on his reading and comprehension. And having that one-to-one attention every day from six months just uh, brought his reading back up to speed. And the teacher said to me, you, you have no idea how blessed he is to have um, actually had this opportunity because you will find out in the long run that reading will become one of his favourite activities and uh, shape uh, so much of his future life because of the positive and encouraging attention and feedback he got from working with one person one-on-one. And I think that's a really, really beautiful story because now, you know, he's a writer. He absolutely loves writing and reading and researching and um, uh, his ability to write uh, incredibly beautiful um, essays uh, is amazing. And it's because of this attention, this positive, encouraging attention one-on-one around what he was behind in. And I, I, I say that quite poignantly because I think that that's a story for us as artists to remind ourselves how important it is to get encouraging and positive and supportive feedback uh, as we progress along making our artwork as we're working on it and developing on it. And that's the basis that I've created the Artists Club is a, a place to share art and then uh, you can get supportive and encouraging feedback without fear of being um, put down and negated uh, from fellow artists 
to encourage you to produce more and to ask questions and to have an absolutely beautiful, meaningful dialogue. And uh, it's getting told where you're going right is so important, isn't it? Yes. And when you maybe do want some course corrections, having someone show you in a positive way how to do that. And I, we've talked multiple times on how mentoring and feedback is, is so good for you. But you want to be, you want to do it with someone who, who knows how to do it. <laughs> well, that's built into our, our system is that right. we actually teach people. Right. It's part of the process. We teach and help mentor people into being uh, a supportive peer. Like how do you be a supportive peer to another artist? And uh, we could do an episode on that if you like. Right. Yeah, we totally could. Right. How do you be a supportive peer? I like that. Yeah, I think I think it is important to know how to support, you know, someone else, but also, you know, as a trained mentor, like as a trained coach, and you're also, you also have training, right? Like I have degrees in this. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, this, this is all I do. <laughs> yeah, right. So we know how to approach things in a way that, um, that is helpful versus that will bring you down. <laughs> so, and, and I think that's really for anyone who, um, who wants any sort of, improvement in their work, finding a mentor who understands you that you like, you know, and maybe deciding where you need mentorship or how you need mentorship. And then, you know, seeking that out is really important. I think that's great. I love that example from your son about how he flourished. And, you know, I see that with my clients. I'm sure you see this too. You know, when they have one-to-one, when we meet with you, you all, (laughs) anyone who's a client, you know, on a one-to-one basis on a one-to-one level and, um, over a period of time, there is some, can be some really amazing growth. And, uh, I, I think that's, I, I think that's not something that we should take lightly. Like that's hugely important for our growth. And I like, even this summer I was like, kind of, I want a mentor and who could that be? And I sought that person out. So it was, it, it's really good. I had a most beautiful experience on the weekend and I'm, I'll recount this story, but I was opening an art exhibition of three of my students uh, who were my students 10 12 years ago and they did a, a year long masterclass with me and uh, they grew and they've been exhibiting because part of my masterclass was actually getting people to exhibit as well and and they've been exhibiting and working on their art ever since and uh, to sit there 10 years later and actually see where they've got and how much they just love experimenting and making art and have letting go of um, so many of the fears and, you know, the sort of prerequisite things that we put on what our art should be and let all of that go just to be very much in tune of who they are and uh, seeing their beautiful smiley faces and them, each one of them taking me inside saying to me, you know, this is your fault. <laughs> um, this is the reason that we're here today is because of what you gave us all these years ago uh, through this particular process. And as I'm opening uh, and someone's handing me the microphone to start the speech, I'm looking at this gentleman across the road from him and uh, they gave me the microphone and I went went over and said, oh, uh, you're Owen Thompson, aren't you? And he goes, yeah. And uh, I said, oh, you used to teach me when I was 14, watercolour painting. And uh, it was just such a lovely way to um, start having, and he was the person introducing the fourth artist at the speech. So afterwards we we had a, a really, really beautiful conversation and catch up and he was showing me his work and I was showing him uh, my work and let's have lunch and actually do this lovely bit of catch up. And isn't it a magical when uh, these things come back around and we actually get to see where people have ended up uh, and actually remember these incredible experiences in their life. And uh, it's a blessing of uh, being an art art teacher or um, an art mentor 
uh, that we both are, that we get to see and watch people change and grow and blossom into um, being an incredibly powerful artist. And yeah, there's an art to it as well. Absolutely. There definitely is an art to it. And uh, I, art, teach, art education and teaching photographers, that's my life more so than even my art itself. Like it's so important to me and what I, who I am and what I do. I can't imagine ever stopping teaching people. Uh, that's what I live off financially. It's what I nourish myself on. It's what I do. I'm more interested in running the next class and making my next book if I'm honest about things. It's what we're passionate about. I mean, I'm passionate about photography too, but that's why this podcast is called A Creative Affair because it's all kinds of different you know, passions that we have. So it's awesome. I think that's an excellent place to end. It is. We sure talked longer than I thought we would. So. <laughs> it was going to be a quick episode, a quick catch up. A little And quickie. we're going to talk about all these things, which obviously we didn't. We talked about a whole lot of other things and <laughs> had a wonderful conversation. Same. We'll link to all of those things in the notes. And uh, if any of you have anything you'd like to share with us based on our conversation, we'd love to hear from you. So email us. In the, it's in the episode description. Love to hear from you. All right, Len. I think that's it. It's time to say goodbye, folks. Bye, all. Bye, everyone. Thank you for joining us in our creative affair. If you love the passion we bring to this creative content, please support the podcast by sharing with a friend, subscribing, and leaving us a review. To find out more about Len, including his photography, Lens Journal, an inspiring quarterly publication, tours, workshops, and his new art school, The Artist Club, visit lenmetcalf.com. For more about me, Bree Stockwell, visit creativemindscoach.com. There you can subscribe to my Monday Motivation emails, learn more about creative coaching, check out my online portfolio, and access searchable transcripts of these episodes. See you next time.